Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way, and we built this country called the USA, and we fly our flag because we're proud and free, we're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. Never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the rights, we're Americans. Make up America, but it's amazing America. Welcome, patriots, to our Convention of States podcast, titled, That Provident Article, a reference given to Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution by James Madison. Our opening theme music is Amazing America, used by permission of Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band and endorsers of the Convention of States project. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the U.S. Constitution, the amending provision with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States Project. For more information regarding the Convention of States Project, please visit www.conventionofstates.com. My name is Paul Hodson, and I've been a volunteer with the Convention of States Project in Texas since early 2014. Our goal is to continually educate ourselves on Article 5, to bring timely information relating to the Convention of States Article 5 movement and to promote the use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. Our contact information here at That Provident Article, my email address, texasdc for hd 58 at gmail.com. That's Texas, D is in district, C is in captain, the number 4, H is in house, D is in district, the number 5, the number 8, at gmail.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is the same, at TexasDC for HD58. You can go to our Blog Talk Radio website, blogtalkradio.com, TexasDC for HD58. And we're on iTunes now. You can search for that Provident article and you'll find us out on iTunes. Uh, a reminder, our call-in number for the call-in portion of the show, 914-205-5632. We're an amazing America. Good morning. Welcome to the September 19th version of the Convention of States podcast, that Provident article. We're going to begin with the news, uh, as we do every week. I'm going to go through this as quick as I can, remind you again to to go to conventionofstates.com, go to that news page. All these articles are are listed there, uh, except for the last one that I'll get to and talk about that in a moment. Uh, First of all, uh, there's a posting of the latest Mark Levin ad. It actually was played on 9-11 after his interview with uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney. One of the things he says in that ad is his an encouragement to us out there is there's not a lot to do, but even a little bit is a lot. So that's for each person. I'm not asking you to do a lot, but even a little bit when it's all uh, together, all of us pulling together, uh, that contributes a lot. Uh, the second story out there uh, that I want you to consider is uh, an article written by uh, or a blog by South Carolina State Director Bob, Bob Menges, and it's concerning George Mason's insistence on the state's authority to call a convention. Of course, this past week has been Constitution Week. Uh, we celebrated the 220th anniversary of not just the Constitution but of the unanimous uh, 
a ratification of Article 5 within the convention. And, of course, uh, that's a great opportunity for us to celebrate and to remind everyone out there uh, about the, the Constitution and about our power and our authority uh, within the state legislators, le legislatures to call a convention for proposing amendments. Uh, another article to check out is the one concerning Internet conduct standard and how that might end up being applied to consumer data, consumer data use, under programs like T-Mobile's Music Freedom. Currently, T-Mobile does not uh, apply the use of, uh, of, of the applications like Pandora or Spotify. They do not count that against your uh, usage and your data usage, but the, uh, the Internet Conduct Standard law uh, could end up being imposed upon them and change the freedom that we have. So just an, these examples appear daily, weekly of the government overreach into our lives. Uh, also, certainly want to encourage you to look at Senator Tom Coburn's interview on CNN where he articulately explained both the method and the need for an Article 5 Convention of States. They interview him uh, in regards to the presidential candidates, uh, but he's able to, to deftly change that argument to it doesn't really matter who we put in overall. It, Washington's not going to fix fix the, the deep problems there, and the, we need an Article 5 Convention of States in order to address our, our deep uh, dysfunction we currently have in our government. Uh, perhaps the biggest news of the week, uh, the American Legislative Executive Council, or ALEC, uh, as we mentioned, they met in July, uh, but their uh, leadership has continued to meet, and this past week they officially adopted the language of the Convention of States Projects application for an Article 5 convention as their model policy language. This is a big deal. They are the uh, nationwide conservative state legislator group, legislative group uh, being looked to. Um, uh, the uh, chairman of, of ALEC right now actually happens to be a, a, a state representative who is uh, quite close to me here in Texas, uh, Phil King. Uh, I've actually had an opportunity to have lunch with him in early January. Um, he worked on our on the committee here in in Texas. He's well acquainted with Article Five, uh, and one of the leaders of Article Five there, Ken Ivory, uh, who's been in the Article Five movement for years and is uh, really one of our forefathers in this effort. Uh, successfully worked on the committee within Alec to get that uh, our applications language used as the model policy language. Uh, for years, ALEC has been focusing uh, strictly on uh, mostly the balanced budget amendment and uh, efforts at term limits, uh, but they have seen the, uh, the power and the breadth of the Convention of States application in addressing some of those core issues that we need to address uh, with the Commerce Clause, the General Welfare Clause, uh, the complete overreach of the federal government. Uh, there's an opportunity to take the Convention of States uh, presidential poll after the second debate. Um, they did this after the first debate. There's another poll out there. I encourage you to take it. Encourage your friends to go out there and take that, that poll. That will uh, get them into our system as supporters. Um, there's an, one, more, one other story out there about widespread employment fraud reported at the U.S. Census Bureau. Again, another uh, example of abuse and fraud and just a complete waste of money at a, by our federal government. Of course, Senator Tom Coburn is one of the big advocates of uh, 
getting rid of all the fraud and the abuse. And, of course, he got so disgusted that at the failure of the, the uh, Senate or the House of Representatives to do anything that he's actually left the Senate, and that's why he's fighting with us here for Article 5. The last thing I want to mention is something called the State Legislators Article 5 Caucus. This organization's been out there quite a while. Um, they consolidate news from all the different Article 5 efforts around the nation. They send out a newsletter each month. Uh, you can just Google State Legislators Article 5 Caucus to find their site. Um, and a lot of the stories they cover end up being a lot of the same stories that we already have because Convention of States is proving to be uh, the big effort now nationwide uh, on an Article 5 convention. And we'll go on to our presentation at this point. Okay, slide number one, as always, our, uh, our take on Article 5, the highlights that we are looking at. The Congress, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. And slide two is our Convention of States application, our model application, as ALEC has now endorsed us. Uh, the legislature of the state of fill-in-the-blank hereby applies to Congress under the provisions of Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States for the calling of a convention of the states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. Slide number three, again, I remind you the context of these presentations. The goal we have is to, uh, the analogy is to a, a rock climbing wall and the handholds and footholds that are there, the difficulty levels. We want to fill in as many handholds and, and footholds as you think you need to be able to scale that wall, the challenges to Article 5, and in fact, th that is one of those things that we are going to be dealing with, one of the big challenges to Article 5. We're going to be addressing that today. So James Madison here on slide 4, uh, he's been a focal point, uh, not just uh, for those of us who support Article 5, but also for those who are in opposition. He raised questions during the Article 5 discussions on both September 10th and September 15th of the convention. Uh, he had questions about how a convention would be formed, by what rules would things be decided, uh, and what would be the force. But he also saw no objection, except only that difficulties might arise about the quorum, the regulations, and as much as possible be avoided. Uh, another focal point by the opposition is uh, this line from a letter to George Turber, Turberville, George Lee Turberville, uh, in which he says, having witnessed the difficulties and dangers experienced by the first convention, which assembled under every propitious circumstance, I should tremble for the result of a second. And then finally, uh, the Virginia Resolution of 1798, which was a protest against the Alien and Sedition Acts, and in which uh, Madison is responsible for bringing into to, uh, our terminology the idea of interposition, the states interposing on behalf of its citizens uh, in between this, the uh, federal government and the citizens. And a quick review of the last couple of weeks. Um, the Constitutional Convention itself, 1787, what was going on there? The framers were well acquainted with conventions. The Virginia Plan had been presented uh, on May 29th of that year at the convention. The first amending article draft from August 6th provided for an amending convention, 
and Madison displayed his understanding that an amendments convention is akin to a diplomatic meeting of the states, you know, sovereign entities, by his explanation in Federalist Number 43. Last week, we, we had a discussion on the actual uh, history of the state ratification convention. So the convention meets, they're done. Uh, on September 17th, they have an agreement. They, they uh, sign and deliver the Constitution for the states to ratify, and there were two central issues raised during these debates. Did the Constitution grant undue power to the federal government, and was the language of the Constitution indefinite enough to enable federal officials to exceed or abuse the intended scope of their authority? By the way, we're on slide six, if I've been uh, remiss in stating where we're at. And we saw that during the ratification, there were about four different uh, Four different phases. The first five states were the easy ones, and the Federalists uh, went after these states basically in the north. Uh, they ratified between December of 1787 and January of 1788. Then we got to Massachusetts, in which John Hancock presented the famous compromise called the Massachusetts Compromise. And the point there was they recommended and they encouraged even those who were in opposition uh, because they wanted to amend. They said, ratify now. And we will amend later. We will we will use the process to amend, and we promise we will get your amendment in later. In the springtime, there were several other states, uh, a couple of others, which uh, ratified. And then they knew, uh, again, the politics involved, they knew in the summer the, the difficult states were going to be New Hampshire, Virginia, and New York. And in fact, each of them seemed to outdo the, each other on trying to uh, see how many different amendments during their ratification convention they could propose to the point where New York, uh, though each state proposing amendments and items for a Bill of Rights, New York proposed 31 amendments and 25 items for a Bill of Rights. Uh, so on to slide seven, and today we're going to concentrate on that letter from James Madison to George Lee Turberville. Uh, again, I'm going to uh, quote from that uh, that letter from November 2nd. Uh, having witnessed the difficulties and dangers experienced by the first convention, which assembled under every propitious circumstance, I should tremble for the result of a second. So, uh, George Lee Turberville, uh, fascinating to try and find some information on him on the Internet. This guy doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Um, it's difficult to find information. I found a couple of different uh, places to look, some which were a little bit contradictory. Um, we'll talk about those, but... Uh, in general, there, there's uh, good enough uh, documentation on him that he lived from 1760 to 1798, so he was nine years younger than James Madison. He served as an officer in Virginia during the Revolutionary War, and there's some correspondence between he and uh, the Virginia governor, Thomas Jefferson, during that time. And then he served as a delegate in the Virginia Assembly from 1785 to 1789, which actually is important in our discussion about this letter. Uh, and he wished to be a member of the ratification convention, but he was not. One of the uh, documents which I looked at, original documents, mentioned that he would had served at the convention of 1788, the ratification convention. But as is evidenced by uh, a letter which he wrote to Madison, uh, it, it was rather apparent that he was not uh, a member. And, of course, the notes of the Virginia ratification convention, uh, his name is not mentioned. So there was a series of letters between Madison and Turberville. They were they were acquainted uh again because of his because of Turberville's uh 
work as a delegate in the Virginia Assembly, it makes sense that he was aware of Madison, knew Madison, and that Madison actually consulted him uh, and politicked, lobbied him. And that's that's kind of what the series of this letters is, is Madison uh, getting his coalition together in the Virginia Assembly to defend federalism and to defend the Constitution. Uh, we'll talk about some of the, uh, the the politics involved, and the letters get uh, pretty heightened as to uh, what is discussed there. Uh, we're going to look at the uh, correspondence from December 11th of 1787 through April 7th of 1790, and at that point, uh, the, the other correspondence really doesn't apply. Uh, and it's Madison who initiates this correspondence there on December 11th. Uh, he's informing Turberville of the newly drafted Constitution, and he states... "'Tis not, sir, to draw from you your opinions, but merely to be informed of some parts of the plan of government proposed by the convention at Philadelphia. So like a good politician, as we move on to slide number eight, Madison is coalescing his, his forces that are going to be necessary at that ratification convention. And he states in this letter, uh, and we're going to hear about Patrick Henry as we go through here, uh, Mr. Henry has declared his intention, and perhaps this day may see his plan effectuated, of bringing in a bill for the purpose of promoting a second convention at Philadelphia to consider amendments. Now, a letter uh, a few months later, March 1st, from Madison to Turberville, that ma that letter was not found, and I'm, I'm going to have a lot of lists here of letters in which we're just going to see the sequence of correspondence, but a lot of this is going back and forth between Madison, Turberville, uh, to uh, detail here concerns, uh, here's some of the political intrigue with Patrick Henry, who was quite a force in Virginia and uh, they were very concerned with his powers to persuade others to his side, to the anti-federalist point of view. Uh, so again, September 20th, another letter not found but referenced in, in a subsequent letter. October 3rd, a letter not found. Uh, and then October 20th, here's where we start getting some information which uh, at this point realize the ratification conventions of Virginia and New York have finished. And uh, we know what New York has done. There are 31 amendment proposals. There are 25 uh, issues to be dealt with through a Bill of Rights. And on this October 20th letter, Turberville is writing to Madison, and he's now reporting on what's going on in the Virginia Assembly. This isn't the ratification convention. Now we've got Virginia acting as a state. Uh, their their assembly is, is uh, meeting and going through their business. They're forming their government there as a state. And he states this, a proposition is talked of even by the staunchest friends to the new constitution to close with New York and propose another convention to amend. So there's a, a, a stir going on already in that assembly. And he repeats it basically again four days later in another letter to Madison. Another letter to Madison. Much talk of closing with New York and her proposal for a new convention. On to slide number nine. Again, he writes on October 27th to Madison, a convention I am opposed to. Intrigue, anti-federalism, and artifice go hand in hand. So he's disturbed. He's just letting Madison know what's going on. On the 29th, he writes a letter, uh, a couple of quotes here. Mr. Henry has this day brought in his firebrand, which I fear we can scarcely withstand. Tomorrow, tis a fearful day. Corbin has today almost given up the cause of federalism. So, so persuasive is Patrick Henry that uh, Turberville uh, is very concerned that he is going to sway opinion. And then coming out on the 29th here of October, uh, Turberville reports to Madison uh, what actually occurred. And it was resolved as the opi opinion of this committee uh, 
that for the quiet for quieting the minds of the good citizens of the commonwealth and for securing their dearest rights and privileges and preventing those disorders which must arise under a government not founded in the confidence of the people application be made to the congress of the united states so soon as they shall assemble under the new constitution to call a convention for proposing amendments to the same according to the mode therein described again understand the context here they're they're resolving to call a convention for proposing amendments but we're not talking about two or three or five or a limited scope we're talking about all these amendments which new york and virginia have requested and all these issues and items for the bill of rights uh in essence a a, a rewrite of the a constitution which has not even been implemented yet so on to slide number 10 uh so here is the the letter in question on november 2nd and in it we the very first thing we find out is that madison is aware of the october 20th and 24th letters but he wasn't aware of those from the 27th and 29th uh doesn't really change the tone of the letter. Uh, the very second paragraph, which starts the actual uh, subject of the letter, is, You wish to know my sentiments on the project of another general convention as suggested by New York, because this is what Patrick Henry and the Virginia Assembly are now considering, is to have a, a general convention. Again, remember, that means all the states. It does not mean that it is open to all subjects, but the very nature of the uh, of the amendments being proposed uh, makes it basically a plenipotentiary convention. Uh, that is very important to note. And you have a government which is not even yet formed under the Constitution, and Madison lays out in this letter uh, various points as to uh, even how how would they determine the rules for that second convention when the when the first one has not the government has not been formed yet. Do we go by the rules of the Articles of Confederation, which means unanimous? all 13 states, or do we go by the new constitution, which would be nine states? Uh, actually, I believe, uh, well, two-thirds, you'd have to have nine states in order to call uh, a convention for proposing amendments. And so he states, and here is the longer version of that quote, having witnessed the difficulties and dangers experienced by the first convention, which assembled under every propitious circumstance, I should tremble for the result of a second, Meeting in the present temper of America and under all the disadvantages I have mentioned. So going through the letter, and I have attribution for that letter so that you can go read the whole thing. It's not real long, but it is several pages, and Madison goes through his points uh, pointing out all the disadvantages and the present temper of America. And again, they are very concerned with the persuasive Patrick Henry there in the assembly in Virginia. So Turberville writes back uh, on November 10th uh, a letter which he's really describing what's going on there in the Assembly in Virginia, the triumph of anti-federalism, and uh, the tone of that letter is very much like, you know, Patrick Henry has won the day. And he's also very, very uh, discouraged that Madison was not one of those who were elected by that Assembly to the U.S. Senate. Remember again that at that point under the, uh, the new U.S. Constitution, uh, senators were elected by uh, the state legislators. And uh, so in Virginia, two others had been elected and not Madison. On to slide 11. Madison writes back to Turberville on November 6th, but that letter is not found. Uh, again, he writes on the 13th, uh, Turberville to Madison on the 13th, the 16th, December 12th, 
December 14th. Again, a lot of political intrigue, a lot of concern about uh, Patrick Henry's uh, great persuasive uh, oratory and swaying so many people. But now as we start to get into 1789 and into June of 1789, um, we start to hear that uh, they they are encouraged at how the country is actually embracing the Constitution and the anti-federalist movement is losing ground and uh, the tone of the letter by the time we get to January 20th of 1790 is that the anti-federalists Really, their case has not been made, and in fact, the function of the new government has really shown the people that uh, this is a very encouraging time. And, of course, uh, Madison himself was the one who introduced, as as a member of the House of Representatives, introduced the slate of 17 amendments in the House, which became 12 uh, amendments proposed, sent out by the Senate, and 10 ratified, becoming known as the, the Bill of Rights. So on to slide 12. Our attribution, uh, again, uh, these are three sites you can go to. One of them was just a quick ancestry site. Uh, another one was uh, in Google Books. Um, and that's a very long site you can go to, uh, a long address. Uh, but that will show you the page where uh, George Lee Turberville and his family is mentioned. And then finally, this Founders Archives and Documents, you can actually just seek through and uh, go letter to letter there. Uh, Quite an intriguing site. Uh, Great documentation there. Okay, phone calls. We have time for just a minute or two of phone calls. Reminder that our guest call in line 914-205-5632 and the ground rules is basically to be respectful. Don't shout. Don't be defamatory. uh, Keep to the subject and we want to encourage dialogue so that we can pause and listen to each other. Uh, So go ahead and call in. Okay, and uh, we have no callers available right now. Uh, just a, a preview for next week. We will begin looking at the um, at Madison's and Jefferson's resolutions, the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, uh, dealing with the Alien and Sedition Acts, and specifically looking at Madison's concept of interposition of the states and what that means and uh, how it leads a little bit more into uh, Jefferson taking an even stronger stance of nullification. And then we want to see uh, what they both concluded and specifically what Madison concluded after that exercise in 1798 uh, dealing with the Alien and Sedition Acts. Uh, But for now, we're going to go ahead and, and once again let Madison Rising play us out of our show. And that's a wrap for this episode of That Provident Article. I'd like to thank Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, for playing us out with the Star-Spangled Banner. Be sure to visit their website at madisonrising.com and check them out on iTunes or Amazon Music. Also, thanks go out to Mark Meckler, founder and president of Citizens for Self-Governance, and Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project. And more thanks to our state leadership team here in Texas. Don Glacy, our membership coordinator. Martin Harry, our legislative liaison. Tom Dowdy, our coalition's director. And Tamara Colbert, our state director. These patriots have put in thousands of hours of volunteer time for the cause of liberty, and I count it a great privilege to work with them. Yes, we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave.